Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever Bet It Right show in conjunction with BetItRight.com. It's a brand new website that brings the football data to your door. Each week, we'll update you on the key numbers and metrics that you can use to help you show off in front of your mates and allow you to bet better. Like, subscribe, get involved with us at BetItRight.com. Let's get on with today's show, which, as always, will feature news, views, stats and facts to prepare you for another weekend of world-class football. Now, this week, I'm joined by football expert Dean Selby, who will point out the key stats and facts for us ahead of this weekend's matches. But before that, as it's our very first show, Dean, uh, tell us a bit about your footballing CV. Ollie, great to see you and welcome to all those watchers out there that are tuning in for the first time. My background, I've spent the last 15 years working in a variety of different roles in football. I started off as a coach, uh, moved in to be a coach educator. I've spent some time as a scout. Uh, I've spent some time working as a consultant uh, with the Premier League in England and also with US soccer. So involved in English football, American football, the MLS, the Premier League. And through those roles, I started working with a large betting syndicate uh, in the UK, giving them some advice how to link in data into football and look at team matchups and kind of how important certain players were to certain games and from that um moved into various other roles in football and you know basically i spend every single minute of every day watching football reading about football thinking about football and, and working out you know how to give the best advice and that's kind of led into to where we are now with bet it right um, for those that are new to, to Better Right, as we said, Better Right's a new website. Just explain exa- what exactly Better Right is. So, Better Right is a platform open to the public. We use uh, algorithm based models to, to take data from games, all the timestamps across multiple leagues in Europe and around the world. And we, we display this on the website. This gives match prompts pre match and in match. We have all the data that the punters would want from corners to cards to both teams to score, overs and unders, uh, you know, home and away wins. Every piece of information that a punter could use to build an acker, to build a bet builder, to just make a single bet. And it's all available. It's free and it's out there now. So, you know, if you're a punter, it's a, it's a perfect thing to use for your weekend and, and your midweek betting. Throughout the course of I mean, this is going to be a weekly show and podcast and um... I'm sure as we go along this journey through the rest of this season and indeed into next season, we'll, we'll hopefully educate our our viewers, our listeners. Um, but as a sort of general, a general answer, how do you think the people out there listening and watching to this can use Bet It Right most effectively? So I'm a punter. I've always been a punter, which is why I love, you know, working with the guys at Bet It Right. And I love, you know, I love football. And when we're putting our bets together at the weekend, you know, we always have our biases. We have our favourite teams. We have a manager we don't like. We have a player we don't like. And that leads us down certain avenues when we're, when we're putting our bets on. What Bet It Right offers is an objective, data-driven resource where people can look at it and say, OK, I like this game. Now let me see if the data supports that. And that will give everyone the best chance for their bets to be successful. And as we know, football is an unpredictable sport. So all we're there, we're there to make it a little bit more predictable. We're there to narrow those losses and we're there to hopefully help our punters make loads of money, help them bet better and help them beat the bookies. I love it, especially that last bit. Um, thanks for that, Dean. Can't wait to, to work with you and the other brains at Better Right over the, 
as I say, the next few weeks and, and the remainder of the season. Um, we see um, clubs use data now. We see players use data now. And I'm delighted to say, as, as you mentioned there now, it's, it's sort of opened to all, which is, which is tremendous. What we're going to do on this show is cherry pick some of the, the key numbers and metrics across uh, all the leagues. Uh, but we're going to kick things off this week with our Bet It Right Premier League preview. So, Dean, um, quiet week at Old Trafford. Uh, <laughs> lots As always. To, <laughs> lots to talk about there. I, I think before we preview Chelsea United, it's fairly inevitable that we're actually talking about the fact that Ollie's gone, right? Yeah. As a few people said on social media last night, including our media team, Carrick's at the wheel, get him a contract, <laughs> give him whatever he wants. Let's go. You know, big win at Villarreal and a great start for, for him before the interim manager comes in. And actually, I feel I do I feel massively for Solskjaer. You know, he's 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 got a lot of big characters in the dressing room. He seems like a really nice guy. He had a great start. His points per game before he became permanent manager was excellent. And you know, it was a real tough ride for him. I think the game against City, the defeat against Liverpool, and then obviously losing 4-1 against Watford is just not good enough with the expectations of the fans and knocking around you know, seventh, eighth place in the Premier League and just not being able to make Old Trafford the fortress that it used to be, you know, it's more the theatre of screams now than it, than it, you know, the theatre of dreams. And uh, I, I think it was just his time to go. <coughs> Did the numbers highlight massive areas that need improving at United? And, and is that sort of key focus areas for you and, and, and the guys at Better Right when you're looking at the fixture against Chelsea this weekend? Yeah, for them, I think it's it's making... They're, they're actually a very predictive team. So their XG matches up with their goals output on both sides of the ball, in possession and out possession. But when you look at the squad that they've got, just trying to pick those players and place them where they can be effective and working out if Bruno Fernandes is going to play as a 10, can he do any defensive work for you? A lot of people were saying last night they look more balanced with Van der Beek in the 10 because he can offer a three-man midfield. And McFred, you know, are not left on their own to defenders of two. And that'll be massively important this weekend with Chelsea tending to play four in midfield in their narrow kind of box. Uh, that'll be where the game is, is won or lost for me. Uh, Chelsea, Liverpool, City... It, it looks a three-horse... Well, it is a three-horse title race, isn't it? I think it's fair to say. But but how, how good do you think Chelsea are? Defensively, I think they're outstanding. Uh, you know, conceded three goals at home, which is the second best in the Premier League other than Manchester City. Uh, their XG at home is less than one a game. You know, they're overperforming in front of goal. Uh, you know, their XG is only 1.64 a game, but they've, they've scored 17 goals, which, which is, again... One of the highest, uh, you know, scorers in the Premier League. But I think just having the squad that they've got, the money that they've spent, the variety, the players that you can mix in and mix out. You know, Lukaku being injured is a little bit of a problem and Havertz has got a little bit of a hamstring problem as well. So it's who plays at centre forward will be key. But I just think that Tuchel uh, has just given them a system that they really understand. They know how to play it. It's clear their identity when you watch the games, which under Lampard... It looked a bit fractured and it didn't really look like the players kind of knew what was going on half the time. But now they look very structured in and out of possession and, and just a really hard team to beat. So to, to surmise the game then that we've got this weekend, is this a case of good defence versus bad defence? 
it is, but it also comes down to whether United can knit that forward group together. You know, they've got a few injuries. Cavani, Greenwood. Does Fernandez play in the 10? How does Ronaldo fit into it? Uh, and it's really about how aggressive Carrick wants to go to, you know, go with it. I'm guessing going away to Chelsea is going to try and be quite defensive, quite organised. Whether Fernandez plays or not, you know, we know what he does in the final third, but can he offer them any sort of defensive cover? Uh, if Chelsea play Jorginho Kante with Hudson Odoi and um, Mason Mount in that little pocket, are they going to overload central areas and, and kind of dominate the Man United midfield? And obviously, defensively, United have been poor. Uh, I think it is, you know, it's in Chelsea's favour regarding the defensive side, but United have firepower. And if Lukaku's missing, if Havertz is missing, and Chelsea have to shuffle at the front, then, you know, it will be a tight game. But I don't think Carrick's going to want to go there and be front foot. I think he's going to want to sit in and try and, and try and keep them in it for as long as possible. Uh I, I kind of get the impression from what you're saying then, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, rather than looking at this from a betting angle, it's more of a watching brief because of uh, the managerial changes. Is, is that fair? Yeah. And also the injuries. You know, if Lukaku comes back, then Chelsea are a different monster. If Havertz plays, it's a different system. Uh, you know, United are very predictive in, in how they play away from home. They've got 10 goals. They've conceded 10 goals. XG against is 1.71. XG4 is 1.5. So they're very predictive to their outputs. Chelsea slightly overperforming, but Chelsea with their consistency, with the team being settled, Carrick coming in thinking, is it going to be Ten Hag? Is it going to be Valverde to the end of the season? Is Pochettino going to do a little, you know, swappy swap with Zinedine Zidane and maybe he's back in England? <laughs> you know, who knows? So, you know, the players will hopefully want to impress. Uh, some of them may be wanting to earn new contracts. Who knows? They might even wheel Phil Jones out of a cupboard somewhere <laughs> in the game. You never know, right? That This may be his big comeback. Is he uh, still there? <laughs> I think I think so. I think he's still there. I think this might be the final year of his 25-year contract. But uh, I feel so sorry for that, man. Bless it's, him. It's, it's going to be a tough game for United, and I do think that Chelsea are just going to kind of squeeze and bleed the game. And, you know, once they go ahead... The defensive statistics are outstanding and it may be a game where United need Ronaldo to come up big again. Uh, another new um, new manager in focus will be Eddie Howe at, at Newcastle. Um, they've got Arsenal this weekend. Um, what can we expect from that game? Well, their first game against Brentford, obviously a 3-3 draw. You know, you watch it, the goals they scored, the, the crowd are going crazy. It made me feel a little bit like Mid-90s, peak-90s, Ginola, Albert, Faustino Espria, you know, Alan St-Maximan flying Darren. through his hairband, you know, the backflip. <laughs> it's all Espria. Uh, it takes me back. And I feel like with Newcastle, there's been a 15-year span where they've kind of just not existed. You know, after Shearer retired, it's just been a lot of nothingness. And it's whether Eddie Howe can bring, you know, he, he had that kind of... That team at Bournemouth, a small stadium, 10,000. He left to go to Burnley. Then he went back. And now suddenly he's going to have 60,000 Geordies plus everybody else at home on his back. Um, and I think they just want to see attacking football. They want to see the team go out. They want to see the team have a go. And the first game was a good, you know, a good example of that with a 3-3 draw against Brentford. <coughs> the, the guys that are better on yourself, are you now looking at to try and get a grasp on on what 
Eddie Howe's Newcastle will be. Are you, obviously you've got the last game, although he was sort of bedridden and had a Zoom call to talk to the team. In terms of sample size, is your approach now to look at what he did at Bournemouth and try and analyse how he set those teams up to try and get a grasp on how Newcastle will be moving forward? Yeah, there'll, there'll be trends in, in his managerial style and also the, the kind of formation he plays. You know, Newcastle have typically played a back three under Steve Bruce and he played a back three at the weekend. But Eddie Howe typically liked to play a back four at Bournemouth. So it's going to be whether he changes that over time, whether he wants to give them a few games to see the 3-4-3. Three, three. You know, their XG under Steve Bruce was low. You know, they're knocking around the 1.0, 0.95, goal a game. Suddenly, their first game, XG is 2.2. They score three goals. It's attack versus defence. And I think we're going to see that again this weekend against Arsenal. One good thing on Bet It Right, as Eddie Howe starts to bet his way into the Newcastle job, is that you can check for recency. Last four games, last six games, last eight games, last ten games. So you can start to see those trends uh, develop. So when you're looking at your statistics and putting your bets together at the weekend, you know, is the game against Brentford an anomaly? Will he actually keep that routine away from home or will that just be a St. James's Park kind of ultra aggressive approach? Over time, you know, that that profile will be built. But at Bournemouth, he defensively, they weren't great. They gave up big numbers. Um, he spent a fair bit of money on players that weren't successful. And, and we know that he'll have a lot of money at Newcastle. So it's going to be an interesting one uh, to see unfold. <clears throat> Goes without saying, but I'm, I'm guessing we're looking at betting the overs here, right? I think so. I think uh, Newcastle will go to Arsenal. They'll let them have possession. Arteta's got a team now that are nice and settled. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, Bakary Saka, Lacazette in behind Aubameyang. They're looking far better after that drubbing against uh, against Manchester City. The Etihad, when you know, I felt sorry for for the back four or back five that day, actually. Uh, yeah, and I think that Newcastle will let them have it, and then they'll look to break pace of Joe Linton, pace of Alan St. Maximan, Callum Wilson, and then that will then allow Arsenal to recounter, which is where they're strong. So I really think this game could open up and be a really great kind of flashback to the to the big ding dong derbies of you know, the 90s and the noughties when obviously my memory flips to the Dennis Bergkamp turn at St. James's Park and one of the greatest Premier League goals of all time. That is the greatest Premier League. I won't hear a word said against it. That was unbelievable. And anyone who thinks it was fluke needs their head tested. So if I scream, you and it hits the crossbar, no. interesting. Yeah. I'm muting you. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, <clears throat> uh, looking forward to that game. What about, again, a new manager, Conte, in the... Um, uh, in the focus at Spurs, they've got Burnley, and it was a kind of a weird game weekend last weekend with Burnley scoring three, which was unexpected. And um, what can we expect from Burnley Spurs? Well, firstly, I'd like to send out my condolences to whichever players play on the side of the manager this weekend, uh, because you'll have Conte and you'll have Sean Dyche screaming and shouting. And Conte is a loud, demanding manager. You know, the players on his side of the pitch will get it. He will control, he will conduct. He will look for the team to be aggressive in the press, to be organised. And really, he likes to strangle games. You know, he'll go one or two ahead and then he'll look to kind of keep it tight and going away to Burnley. He's done it before, obviously, managing in England. So he knows what it's like to go to Burnley. It's not like if you came from Italy or 
you know, or, or Spain and then went to Burnley for the first time, you'd be like, right, okay, this is England. But his his record at, at Inter when they won the title was outstanding. Um, you know, top scorers in the league, best defence in the league. Uh, just very, very tactically astute when he looks at the opposition and their strengths. So he'll have a plan for this weekend. What will that plan be? That plan will be to be tight, to play out against any sort of pressure. But Burnley will probably sit in a sort of mid-block and allow them to have the ball. Look to progress it. Be very, very disciplined in their principles. And you'll see lots of patterns, especially when they're playing out from the back with the, with the wing-backs. He's, he's turned Spurs into his three-at-the-back formation, which he favoured at, at Juve, at Chelsea um, and in Italy. And, yeah, they're just very, very, very regimented in the jobs that they do. They're, they're not a team that has huge flexibility. And as long as Spurs can understand that and get to grips with it quickly, they'll be a very, very hard team to break down. But it's a case of him getting the Winks, the Dyers, the Allies, the, you know, the Tangangas, the, the players that have been on the periphery. You know, who's he going to go with? Because uh, there's a lot of players at Spurs that have been in and out. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does there. <coughs> Are Reggion and, and Emerson Royal players to watch under his system? Yeah. Uh, Wingbacks are massive for him. And Emerson Royal has kind of been in and out since Barcelona. They've both got huge quality. Uh, he relies on his wingbacks to deliver crosses. He wants the opposite side wingback to be at the back post, to be attacking. Um, like I said before, his statistics at Inter were outstanding. You know, 81 goals, almost two a game. Uh, you know, almost six shots a game on target. They, they were a very, very disciplined team that, that really set up to nullify the opposition and exploit their weaknesses. So he'll look at Burnley. He'll try and spot pockets on the inside against the flat 4-4-2. And he'll look to go and exploit those wide areas, deliver lots of crosses and obviously try and stop the man at the moment, Cornet, from, from getting another goal, which uh, has been the surprise package of the season so far. <clears throat> Actually, the, the Better Right Insights page on Twitter, it's a great account to follow. It's got loads of useful, useful info. And, and last week they actually flagged up Cornet to, to score any time as a bet, which he did. He scored the third, which was a, a great finish. Uh, that's a really good account to follow on Twitter as, as part of the Bet It Right package. So I strongly advise people um, people checking that out. Just despite Cornet's form, are we looking at Spurs winning this, do we think? Yeah, I think it will be a game where they go there, they go 1-0 up and they, they keep it maybe 2-0 at most. Very defensive, very organised, create few chances, but just be very effective in the job that they do. And that's why I'd suggest with... You know, Conte's history in the Premier League and in Italy to, to dominate possession, to lock games off at 1 or 2 nil, to be very tactical. He likes to find his best eleven with very little rotation. Whether he's had time to do that at Spurs yet? Probably not, but looking forward for the rest of the season, Spurs fans should expect a very, very predictive team, a very, very predictive performance, and hopefully for them, uh, you know, an improvement on what's been a, a difficult past 18 months. OK, we're going to take a, a look at the Championship well, I say a look at the championship, Dean. What what I want to do is a more sort of general conversation, really, about the championship in one team in particular. And I should just stress to those listening and watching that we're recording this Wednesday morning. So the team in question, Fulham, are playing Derby this evening. So we obviously don't know what's going to happen in the fixture there. But when people listen to this, obviously that result will be will be done and dusted. In general, though, I've got to say that 
that Fulham appear to me as a fan as though they're they're off the charts in terms of what they're achieving at the moment. Would would the numbers back that up? Yeah, uh, the numbers have been outstanding. The results have been have been solid, and obviously Mitrovic grabbing twenty one goals in eighteen games and and uh, five assists. You know, he's he's responsible for forty six percent of their of their goals this season and. As a team, they're number one in goals, they're number one in XG, they're number one in shots, they're number one shots on target, and that's away from home. So they've been exceptional. The, the numbers will be a little bit dictated by some big wins. They you know, they beat Blackburn 7-0. Uh, they had a couple of other big wins away from home, but up to date, they've been outstanding. And for the Bet It Right listeners out there, and obviously for you yourself, Ollie, as an Everton fan, to see Marco Silva do well, I'm so happy for him, you know? He was such a success at Goodison Park. Um, and there's no hint of sarcasm in my voice at all with this. Uh, but yeah, they've been outstanding. And the, the fixtures this last week, there's a little kind of, you know, a little connection because Derby came back to beat Bournemouth uh, after Bournemouth were 2-1 ahead at the weekend. And uh, Scott Parker's obviously the Bournemouth manager. And then they play tonight. Uh, Derby play, play Fulham tonight. So they're having a real impact on the top three. But, yeah, they've been outstanding. And are Fulham a long way clear of Bournemouth in terms of what they're achieving? Because there's not much. I mean, you touched on it there. There's not much between them in terms of the league table. No, I think those teams, we're seeing now more and more that, you know, teams dropping down into the championship with the parachute payments, with the squads that they create when they're in the Premier League. It's becoming much more often that they bounce straight back into into the Premier League with those, you know, with the players and the squads that they have. And there's a kind of, we know the Championship's a difficult league. Anyone can beat anyone. But for for the squads, you look at the, the quality of players that those teams have got. And, you know, Scott Parker's got experience of it at Bournemouth with, with taking Fulham into the Premier League. Marco Silva's got a lot of experience in England as well. Didn't work for him at Everton, but, you know, he had some success at Hull. So I think with the with the squads and the quality, you know, you've got Mitrovic going away to Serbia, knocking Portugal out, sitting in the change room, having a nice big old slice of pizza, having a great time, and then coming back and just banging goals in. And I think for Fulham, it's just about, and for him specifically, you know, will he ever do it in the Premier League? You know, he's still only 27. It feels like he should be about 35 or something. You know, he's, he's 27. He's 27. Oh, the over under on that, I would, I would have lost. Yeah, yeah, you'd have lost on the uh, on the uh, on the overs there. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he he's a player that similar to the kind of your David Nugent's back in the day. Those players that dominate in the Championship score lots of goals, but can't make it to the Premier League. Mm. But um, yeah, you know, they're number one in the league uh, whole season out of 18 games for for kind of the overs market 2.5. 12 and 6. Away from home, they're 6 and 3 on over 2.5, which is ranked number 4 in the league. So, yeah, they're an exciting team to watch with lots of goals. And, and Harry Wilson's playing a great second fiddle to Mitrovic. Right, we are going to move away from England now and we're going to uh, get our passport out of the cupboard and head around Europe. But the first thing to say, Dean, is that Serie A is just the league that keeps on giving, isn't it? Because last weekend was just another belter. Some of the results were incredible. If you want goals, 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 then just watch Serie A. Even if you don't like football, if you just want to see <coughs> people banging the ball in from 30 yards, underside of the crossbar, you know, tap-ins, penalties, red cards, 
VAR, managers going crazy, players going crazy. Uh, there's a there's a brilliant picture of Napoli manager Luciano Spalletti lying on the floor when Dries Mertens missed the 97th minute chance to equalise in the game against Inter. And it's just that it's a league that's just been reborn. And it's 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 been fantastic. Last season it was fantastic and this season it's just carry on. And, you know, last, last night in the Champions League, Atalanta... 3-3 against Young Boys, just carrying that flag as the team that just want to keep scoring. And conceding. <laughs> and conceding, yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about the the Napoli-Lazio game in detail in a moment, but can I just, in, in light of what you were saying about Merton's mischance in the 97th minute, and, and, and that meant that Inter hung on for a 3-2 victory against Napoli, um, closing the gap at the top to four, we talk about six pointers and what have you, but that was that was a big miss in the context of the outright market for Serie A. And does that does that miss and and that result mean that Inter are favourites in your book now? For anyone that watched that game at three one, the game was dead. Dries Mertens came off the bench, equal top goal scorer in Serie A history for Napoli, scores an absolute worldie from twenty five yards into the top corner to become their leading goal scorer in Serie A of all time. And I was watching the game and you could feel the momentum turn. And I was thinking, come on, let's go. Let's go 3-3, three, 3-3. Three, three, three. And as into sat and sat and sat and Napoli came and they had that chance in the 97th minute because of all the injuries, the injury to David Ospina, uh, the injury to, to Skriniar, and then obviously the really, the really bad injury to Victor Osman. And what a miss. And yet it's tipped it back now. Milan lost. Napoli lost. Inter back in the race. And with their squad, you know, they've got good cover in every single position. Central midfield. They've got experience at centre forward with Dzeko. The liveliness of Martinez. Correa, their little kind of jack-in-the-box. They have really good cover. In it. And against the other squads, Milan struggling with injury and an older squad, especially in the final third. And also Napoli, you know, with if Victor Osman's fit, they're a real threat. But this fractured cheekbone and eye socket now could leave him out for six to eight weeks. And that's a huge loss for them. So I, do, I really think this weekend the balance has tipped massively in Inter Milan's favour. You could see straight away that that was not a nice injury, couldn't you? As soon as the yeah. camera turned, it looked brutal. Yeah, it looked like he'd been in the ring with, uh, you know, with, a, with a middleweight and taken a good old few smacks to the head. Um, mm. but thankfully, you know, he was able to walk off the pitch. He looked OK. And, you know, we are better right. We all wish him a, you know, a quick recovery and hopefully he'll be back on the pitch because he is an outstanding talent. <laughs> he really is. And I suppose the sooner they get him back, the the higher the chance that they've got of winning Serie A. But at the moment, I think Inter are second fads just with a few, with most firms behind Napoli. So you, you think Inter are the bet in Serie A? Yeah. When, you know, Napoli's defensive record at home is outstanding. You know, conceded 0.32 goals on average from 0.63 xG. Their attacking numbers, 1.73 xG, and we'll talk about this a little bit in relation to the game against Lazio. But a lot of that has come from Victor Osserman. You know, he's got five goals. His style allows him to open the game up and to make the pitch big and to get their wingers and midfielders on the ball. And without him, they don't have a natural replacement. Andrea Pitania is slower, bigger, more of a hold-up player. Dries Mertens, 34 years old, wants to play in the pocket. So for them, they have to really change their complete style. Whereas Inter Milan can be consistent and they've been very, very good in front of goal this season. And the system that they're playing is exactly what they played, very similar to what they played under Conte and 
what Inzaghi did at Lazio. So it's very natural to them. Well, let's talk about that game that you you referenced there, the uh, the, the Napoli-Lazio game. I should just say to everyone listening and watching our first ever Bet It Right show, thank you for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying it, but I'd like to apologise for sounding like the Lazio manager Maurizio Sarri after 8,000 cigarettes. I've got this cold that's going around, so my apologies there. But but it, but the, Sarri is the sort of angle here, isn't he? Because a former Napoli manager now with now with Lazio, what what can we what, what are we looking at with regards to this game, Dean? Well, firstly, I'm I'm thankful that you're not sitting there chewing a cigarette butt for the show, which is a positive. <laughs> Because obviously we know that Sari has a as a uh, you know needs that to get him through the games, but yeah we know you know we know him from from his time at Napoli. That's when they challenged for the title, a couple of second places when Juve won the league, and then he goes to he goes to Chelsea. It doesn't quite work out. He brings Jorginho into our lives, which is now a potential Ballon d'Or winner uh, for all those punters out there that had Italy in the in the Euro qualifier. Oh, sorry, the World Cup qualifier. Jorginho missing the penalty in the 93rd minute. Probably don't like him, but, you know. And, uh, yeah, he went to Juve, he won the league, and now he's... Uh, but they didn't like him. Sarri ball just didn't sit well with the fans at Juve. And now he's at Lazio. And they've had a hit and miss start to the season. Very strong at home. Um, away from home defensively, just conceding far too many goals. You know, averaging over two goals a game conceded. Um you know, from 1.7 xG, defensively very poor, and their outputs have been really poor as well. Only an average of 1.08 goals a game um, from 0.95 xG, and they're a team that relies heavily on a few players. Pedro still rocking it in the in Serie A, and he's having a great season. Felipe Anderson, um, who they sold for 40 40 odd million to West Ham and bought back for two million, so great business. And Chiro Immobile, the much maligned. Hero of you know the, the the Italian European Cup winners, and he's potentially injured this weekend. So for them, it's it's about not conceding so many, and and they need to be more potent in front of goal. <laughs> I suppose it's interesting with Immobile and Ozerman out actually as to how we approach it. Is there sort of bets you're looking at in light of that? Firstly, I'd, I'd say we need to look at the teams. Uh, Ozerman definitely out. Napoli could go with Patania, which would mean they deliver more crosses. If they play Mertens in the pocket, then they'll look to play more combination play, very similar to how Sari had them play a few years back. Um, Lazio didn't have, uh, you know, didn't have Immobile at the weekend, and they really struggled uh, in their two 0 loss against Juve. They only had one shot on target. They had 0.5 xG, and they gave up 4.2 xG against Juve which is a massive, massive numbers. And that was at home. And they really have struggled to kind of knit together with Sari. He likes a deep-line playmaker, um, as he had Jorginho at Napoli. And they just haven't found it. They've, they've got Lucas Leiva. They're trying uh, Cataldi in there, but it's not quite working. And they just have a really small squad, Lazio. Uh, you know, Sari wants them to play and combine and keep the pitch nice and tight. But... Uh, you know, Napoli have three really strong midfielders themselves in Ruiz, Anguissa and probably Zielinski in there. So that's a key area for that game. But yeah, Napoli, best defensive record in the league. Very, very potent going forward. But without Ozerman, it's really tough to say how that's going to impact them. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to say that Napoli have more tools to, to replace Ozerman than Lazio do uh, for Immobile. So 
I would be looking at this more along the lines of a, a 1x2 game and, and Napoli being the favourite. <laughs> OK, thanks for that, Dean. Uh, I just want to update the listeners and the viewers on some other news around Europe. Bayern Munich in, in the Bundesliga, they suffered a surprise 2-1 defeat to Augsburg in, in the Bundesliga last Friday. Uh, they got back on track in the Champions League earlier in the week. But news came through this week that Bayern have imposed salary cuts to five of their unvaccinated players who've been forced to quarantine after coming in contact with someone who has COVID. Uh, they include Serge Nabry, formerly of Arsenal, Joshua Kimmich, uh, and three other players who've been told by Bayern that for each day they have to self-isolate, they'll have their wages docked because of their refusal to receive a vaccination. And that might lead to a bit of friction in the camp at Bayern, which we'll keep an eye on. In France, carnage in France. Again, Dimitri Payet was hit in the head by a full water bottle on Sunday night, leading to the Lyon Marseille game getting abandoned within the first five minutes. Now, that will have ramifications for a lot of <clears throat> teams and fans and what have you. And some teams might even play, play have to play games behind closed doors, which, as we know from COVID, is not fun, but also has betting implications um, and market implications. We'll keep a close eye on that. Elsewhere in France, Lionel Messi scored in his first league goal. He scored his first league goal for PSG on Saturday as they overcame Nantes in a 3-1 victory with 10 men. And we move to Spain now and Messi's former teammate Xavi won his first game as Barcelona manager with a very young team as they beat local rivals Espanyol 1-0 at the Camp Nou. Uh, they were held to a goalless draw there though on Tuesday evening against Benfica in his Champions League managerial debut. I'll talk to Dean about that in a moment. But finally, in Turkey, Mesut Ozil, do you remember him? Well, he scored for Fenerbahce in the big Turkish derby against arch-rivals Galatasaray this weekend as they won 2-1 away from home. And that takes Fenerbahce above Galatasaray in the table in Turkey. Uh, Dean, I mentioned Xavi there. Uh, how big a job does he have on his hands? What can we expect from him as a manager? Well, firstly, it was amazing to see him on the touchline last night and see him at Camp Nou, you know, orchestrating, trying to orchestrate his young team uh, to, to, to qualify for the next round in the Champions League, which after last night's result is going to be tough having to go away to beat Bayern. Now, it's probably, like you mentioned, it's probably the best time of the season to go to Bayern with these complications with, with the COVID vaccine. But yeah, for Xavi, it's really a, re a rebuilding process. He's got some outstanding young players, Gavi, Nico, Ricky Pui, Pedri, having won the Golden Boy a couple of days ago. You know, they brought in young Yusuf Demir on loan from Rapid Vine uh, with an option to buy. Serginho Dest, you know, can he get the best out of Coutinho? And the big thing for me, having watched Barcelona in the first few games, is that they, they lack a centre forward. They lack a real goal scorer. And, you know, they've got Memphis Depay, but he's not an out-and-out -out goal scorer. And they really need someone to, to be able to finish those chances in the final third. And you could see last night that Xavi's started to put in the Barcelona principles. They went to a back three to build out. Lots of internal rotations, lots of great combinations, lots of use of wide areas like the good old days with, you know, David Villa and Pedro. But they really missed that focal world-class centre forward that's going to be able to take those chances. And that was evident again last night. Um, <clears throat> we'll keep a close eye on, on how he gets on in La Liga and I'm sure as we go along through the season here on the Better Right show we will have uh, plenty of La Liga previews with some big matches coming up. As we round up show one, Dean, let's, um, what we're going to do each week is we're going to pick out a best bet and we're going to do a sort of weekly acca for the punters at home 
and the listeners and viewers to uh, to side with. So uh, take it away with this week's first ever Bet It Right show best bet. What do we got? Okay, no pressure. I'll give myself a little drum roll. It's going to be Arsenal Newcastle, and the bet of the day is going to be over two point five. Current market odds are one point six two. We just think that with the attacking talent that Newcastle have sitting in deep, as we talked about earlier, wanting to counter-attack, Arsenal, aside from the Liverpool uh, result, obviously, have been much better since the defeat against Manchester City. And this could be a game that really opens up with the counter-attacking style of both teams. So, yeah, we're going for Arsenal-Newcastle over 2.5. Good stuff. Right. Now it gets slightly harder, but... Can we have an away day acker? I want only away matches. I want four games and I want your best four for the acker, for the jackpot. Well, what we got? Hopefully everyone that watches this show is a football fan. Hopefully everybody's experienced an away day, whether that's on the train with a few tinnies with your friends, whether that's getting to a game early and, and sampling some of the local pubs and restaurants. But we love away days. So you can't do this away day acker, though, in England because you're going to have to fly to a few different countries, have a few PPR <laughs> tests. Uh, but what we're going to go for is, in Italy, Fiorentina away at Empoli. Dusan Blajevic linked with a number of clubs, including Newcastle. Outstanding talent, very much on the front foot at the moment. Empoli play for Diamond 2, very open. So we're going to go Fiorentina away at Empoli as game one. Game two, our friends Fulham away at Preston. As we talked about earlier, Mitrovic, Harry Wilson, number one for goals, XG shot shots on targets away from home in the league. Preston had a good result last night coming from behind to beat Middlesbrough 2-1 late in the game. But we like Fulham. Third, Sociedad away at Espanyol. And fourth, Antonio Conte to get the job done away at Burnley for all of the reasons that we talked about earlier to grind out the game, to squeeze, to have a good old shouting match with our friend Sean Dyche. And that is our four-bet-acker, four-fold, away-day-acker of the week. I love it. So Fiorentina, Fulham, Sociedad. And Spurs. Spurs. Right. I've written that down. And the best bet is overs in the Arsenal, over two and a half in the Arsenal-Newcastle game. Do you know what? When you were talking there about the away days and like everyone having memories, like what I'd love to hear. There's a great podcast that Joe Wilkinson does, and he gets um, the listeners to email in just sort of nonsense stories, right? Not that these stories would be nonsense, but I'd love the listeners to email in like their best away days, memories, and things like that, and also Sunday league stories because we've all got one. I, I heard this great, a great Sunday league. Um, What's that voice note where some guy had sent a voice note to the team? claiming he was sick or something. And then the guys put dry your eyes, mate, with the streets dubbed over it and sent it. <laughs> became viral. It was very funny. Anyway, there's there's lots of stuff that we want to hear from, from the viewers. And as we go along through the series, you'll become, I hope, and, uh, and I'm sure a really big part of the show. The other thing I was thinking was actually when we were having that very brief discussion about the best Premier League goal of all time, wouldn't it be good to get a poll up as to what the viewers and better rights and followers think is the best ever Premier League goal. So you went your Boa, you'd put him in the hat. I think Burke well, would Newcastle. Would you have the Rooney you know, overhead kick? Would that be in there? Yeah, Rooney's overhead kick. I think uh, 
always Alan Shearer's goal for Newcastle um, against Everton. As an Everton fan, I was watching that game and where it's come down, they've knocked out too many. He's volleyed it in top corner from 25 yards. The Thierry Henry goal, uh, the flick and the volley. Yeah. Um, his one where he turns Jamie Carragher inside out a few times. I mean, there's <clears throat> there's going to be a bunch of the ones that you know we know, but there's a few. There's a few that will sneak under the radar, and I'm going to throw one into the mix now that not a lot of people will know about. But when you watch it, I would say that this is probably my Premier League goal of all time. It was Fulham at home to Crystal Palace. So you're going to say, you're, yes, I watched it. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, Kasimi's volley mm. it comes over his shoulder and he channeled his inner Marco Van Basten. And one of his <coughs> best volleys at full speed from a third-man run from midfield that you will ever see. So anyone watching this show, young or old, if you don't know it, Fulham's been on the chat today. Get on YouTube. Kasimi versus Palace. What an unbelievable goal. Okay, and we're going to put the, we're going to put the, the tweet out there. We're going to get the, the better right followers letting us know who they think is the, the best Premier League goal of all time. Dean, thanks so much. I love that. Really, really interesting, as I knew it would be. Um, and lots of us, lots for us to sort of digest before the weekend fixtures. Um, but really appreciate your time, mate, as always. Loved it. Um, right, that's it. Um, as I say, that was fascinating. Thanks to Dean and the Better Right team for crunching the numbers for us. Uh, a reminder that the best bet is overs, over two and a half in the Arsenal-Newcastle game. Uh, the away day acker is Fiorentina, Fulham, Sociedad and Spurs. Good luck with that if you're following us in. Uh, and ahead of a weekend with some belting fixtures across Europe, I hope that the info and intel you can get at betitright.com will help you to bet better. Don't forget to like, subscribe to this show, sign up to betitright.com. Thanks so much for tuning in uh, to the first ever show. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. <laughs>